I almost feel like innovation is a luxury that some of us can't afford. Where is the time for it? We're constantly battling fire, aren't we? You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Jay Hira, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here today. And I just want to let everyone know that Jay and I actually used to work together like, oh, I don't even know, like seven, eight years ago or something crazy. We worked in the bank together. And I want to apologize firstly to Jay because he used to sit right behind me and where my desk was located, it was near the kitchen. So everyone used to stroll on by to have a chat. I'd say hello. And so I think over time, that's probably disruptive to your work. So I want to apologize for that all, all these years later. Uh, but Jay has continued to be a, a professional friend, but also a personal friend of mine. So I'm really keen to have you on the show today, Jay. So how are you? I am very well. Thank you, Carissa. And thank you for having me uh, on this platform. I'm so excited that we're sharing this platform uh, together and I'm going to share my views or my thoughts around security innovation. So I'm really excited, mate. Oh, well, I'm glad. I know that, you know, doing podcasts isn't always an easy thing to do, right? And I have had so many amazing guests in the past and Today's topic is going to be around security innovation, and I'm, I'm keen to get into that because I've got some thoughts myself, and I'm keen to get yours, but before we do that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey, and I think the other day when I spoke to you, I listed off so many different roles and companies that you've worked with, so you definitely have sort of a very long history into security, and I think that's what's really going to carry this conversation forward on the innovation side of it because you've seen things from all sides of the coin so please jay what um what has been your experience from where you started to where you are today thank you for that carissa so my journey as an individual can be summarized into three simple phases that i'd say starting from being an average student um to a point in my life where I understood really the importance of personal goals and motivation. And finally, reflections as an old man that I am today on how collaboration and teamwork are the secret sauce for happiness and success. That's the skeleton of my journey. Now, let me just add some more meat to it so that you understand or get some more context around it. Now, growing up as a teen, my fascination for computers came from most of my summer school holidays, uh, where I'd spent the time at my uncle's computer hardware store. This is where I learned how to assemble desktops. That's that's actually how I began. And where uh, he passionately shared his Microsoft Office skills with me. Not that I picked it up from him, but he did. <laughs> I was always an average student through my schooling and somehow degraded to below average from average at the time when it really mattered in high school. Now, just for context, again, in India, your high school grades determine what you can and what you can't choose as major subjects at university. So the turning point in my life came when I was denied computer science as a major subject that I was really passionate about. Um, That helped me realize that I really need to be in a driver's seat of my own career and of my own life, and I cannot really afford uh, my circumstances to influence my life choices and my career decisions. Now, motivated to change my situation, I studied hard and talked at the university and was offered a switch to computer science. And of course, I did take that switch. Since that point in my life, I've almost cherry-picked every role. Like you said, I've been all over the place in terms of moving from attack to defense to strategy, a lot of different disciplines within cybersecurity. But one clear goal that I always had through each of my role or each of my job has been to learn something new. Now, let's fast forward to 2020 a very different time where we all all had to adapt to almost a new way of living and working. This extra personal time that we all uh, got and, you know, how you and me were discussing about this extra 
time that we've had has made people uncomfortable because you know you tend to not know exactly where do I focus my or channelize my energy on. But for me, I think this has helped me to reflect on my journey um, so far and has made me realize that the most fulfilling experiences on my journey haven't been those where I was uh, very successful as an independent contributor, but those where I was collaborating in larger teams to solve problems, irrespective of whatever the outcome was, whether we were successful as a group or unsuccessful as a group, it didn't matter at the end. Now, let me pause um, and ask you this. Like you started out by saying that we both work together at a bank. Would you agree that as soon as you think of a past employer uh, that you worked at in the past, the first couple of things that come to mind are the people that we've worked with and the learnings that we have had in the role? No, oh, without a doubt. I mean, I'm still friends with people that I work with 10 years back plus. So for me, that's what I remember. And I remember like, like I said before, just sitting there at my desk and I think I even got moved from that desk because they. I think my my manager was worried that people were distracting me. But for me, it's it's really about, you mentioned before, like collaboration and the team. And that's what I remember about working in these sort of organizations, the people that were around me that make a bit of a bad day seem a lot better because you'd laugh about it or you'd sort of work as a team and, and pull together then as a team. So I think your, your comment around collaboration is really, really important. And those are the things that I remember, probably less so like the work specifically, like, yes, I do think of it. But of course, I, I I think of the people and the people who made me who I am today in terms of their support and their professional advice. So true, and and you know those times actually, you're being around uh, my desk and your positivity, your enthusiasm, your determination, your willpower to achieve what you really wanted to, was the highlight of my experience at uh, at the bank because. You know, it was rare to come across someone who was so head bent on, you know, again, like I said, in my journey, the turning point was around deciding that I need to take control of my life. And I saw the same thing uh, in you when we were at the bank together. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. And I think that without that experience, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Probably not. I just got that taste of security. I was always interested in it. And I actually remember, I remember turning around and I looked at your screen. And I was like, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, I've got to follow people up for like PCI um, compliance. And I was like, wow, like I could not do that job. So my hat's off to you. You had that, that patience that I definitely don't have. I think you're being too kind, mate. I think we all are on... Uh, you know, we're all on our own journeys and we all learn and evolve through it. I recognized what you had and, you know, how, uh, you know, you could turn that into success, which you have. And I'm so proud of you as a friend, mate. So I look up to you all of the time and you were the reason why I started focusing more on my storytelling, getting some coaching around my public speaking ability because I felt like that is that was essential. I can no longer be just a nerd um, and work work in a dungeon. I have to collaborate with people and I have to get the message out uh, at times, drive a point through a story. Well, I really appreciate that. And I hope that podcasts like these inspire other people out there listening. And one of the things that you sort of said was collaboration and I, I want to sort of dig into that and, and you spoke about like being in the driver's seat would you say a lot of these characteristics are the backbone for potentially building security innovation because I asked that number one that's today's topic but then number two everyone just talks about innovation 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 but then like what does that mean though specifically Absolutely. So in my head, like you rightly pointed out, collaboration is the biggest key. Now, think of it this way. Um, we often look at so, so security as an ecosystem itself has two key components, right? There is the attack component and there's a defense component. Cybercrime, if you look at it over a period of last decade, has evolved so much 
cybercrime used to be mostly cyber criminals working on their own, getting to a point where it became hacktivist or a group of people with similar ideologies evolving to a point in the future or now where, where it's become nation-sponsored uh, you know, crime and funded by governments. So the pace at which they are evolving or they are collaborating, us as security <laughs> folks on the defense side need to uh, you know, evolve at the same pace and collaborate at the same space in order to you know, be more innovative. <laughs> But when we talk about innovation, so you've got big corporates sort of saying, oh, you know, we're trying to build innovation. What comes to mind when you think of that? Because, I mean, some of some of the definitions that I have seen is you've got like these think tanks, so you've got your big corporations that are buying companies left, right and centre to try to increase their capability or some of them, like I said, got these think tanks on the side so they're sort of tinkering with things and exploring things. Is that what comes to your mind when we're talking about innovation? Okay, so um, let me try and share uh, my thoughts around innovation in general and the differences between innovation and security innovation uh, and probably just expand with some examples. So if we look at the very crux or the very seed of what drives innovation, it is the need to solve a problem that has never been solved before. The difference that I'd like to call out here between innovation and security innovation isn't the trigger. Um, like I said, the need itself. One trigger for security innovation is obvious uh, trigger, which is solving a problem. The other uh, trigger is keeping up with the uh, with the bad guys, like I said. And by that, I mean, you know, the example that I gave around security ecosystem constituting of two components, attack and defense. Um, so, so that's the, you know, us, us as security defense professionals, we're, prof we're almost spending our time catching up. Now, let me just talk through some examples to put some sense into this idea. So let's start with security innovation to solve a problem. Um, now it was the 90s. I was in my teens, and which is why I, you know, remember it so uh, dearly. When the World Wide Web uh, became publicly available on the internet, the challenge at the time was to leverage the internet for e-commerce, as the internet is an open network essentially, which meant every transaction on it was visible to everyone else on the network. Now there were two problems to solve to meet this challenge of bringing e-commerce to the internet. The first challenge uh, or the first problem was hiding the transaction on this open network. And the second problem was establishing non-repudiation as a capability to ensure that nobody can refute from a committed transaction. Now that in itself gave birth to security innovation in the form of SSL. And the beauty of SSL that we don't really talk about that often is around how it is completely transparent to the user. You know, they wouldn't even notice that there is a secure link established between their web browser and the service that they're trying to access the e-commerce service, whether it's Amazon Prime or something else that they're trying to access and that there is a presence of cryptography and digital signatures to achieve that huge feat. So that in itself to me is security innovation that stems from solving a problem. OAuth is another prime example in this category of security innovation. OAuth enables you to use a common provider account such as Google, Instagram, Facebook, across a multitude of different services that you want to consume. Imagine you can't really remember 100 different services that you have accounts on and their credentials. That's the bigger, bigger problem. Now let's take an example of security innovation where defense is playing catch up with attackers. The, the example that we, uh, you know, that, that we described briefly earlier. Risk-based authentication, in my view, is a prime example again, um, and it's very relevant in the times that we're living in today. This current pandemic has actually boosted the opportunity for online scams and phishing attacks. 
I read some astonishing stats the other day from Google that over 2 million phishing websites were detected in just 2020. Now, risk-based authentication provides that ideal balance between security and usability because every time uh, you know, a user is trying to log on to a service that they're trying to get onto, they don't necessarily have to step up and provide multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication. It's only when their risk profile has changed, their location has changed, or maybe their IP address has changed, or maybe they're trying to access a resource which has higher sensitivity level than something that usually that they've accessed. So I think that to me is security innovation that stems from the defense playing catch up with attacker we could talk about another example of ddos protection but you get but you get my point right and to be and to summarize or bring it home we're surrounded by security innovation and the best security innovation is the one that is transparent to the users um do you agree with that carissa i do I, I definitely get your point. One of the things that keeps coming up for me when you're speaking and sort of what's going in my head is you spoke about solving a problem. One of the things that I've seen is people just like to build stuff and then find a problem. Whereas I think probably a better way, and correct me if I'm wrong, would be that there's a problem. Hey, let's go and solve that problem because I think a lot of people like to just develop stuff because they're, they're tech people and they enjoy it. And then they're like, well, now I'm trying to find that problem. That problem may exist or it may not exist. And then I think potentially as a byproduct of that, we just generate more noise. Absolutely. So I agree with you. And um, if I was to, um, in my head, think about life cycle of an innovation and where the approach of um solving a problem that hasn't even existed or there's not even an audience or a customer for for a product is like you know uptake is an important phase in the security innovation so so there's introduction wherein you have a concept you've worked on a concept you're introducing the concept uptake or adoption of that concept is also very important and which is the phase where if you are um, just if you're just a startup uh, focusing on something fancy and not trying to solve a real world problem that customers are facing, then there wouldn't be that level of uptake. And if there wouldn't be that level of uptake would mean that there wouldn't be evolution of the solution that you've created and it will die a sudden death. So, so I think that that is the very reason which, and I agree with your point around how you need to almost solve a problem, a customer problem that exists rather than just, you know, do something um, which probably doesn't even address the market that you're trying to target. So from your experience, you spoke around people just trying to be fancy. What percentage would you say are people just trying to be fancy versus people solving real world problems here? Um, well, great question. Um, I, I'd have to take a stab at it. I don't even know what the uh, stats are going to be, but I almost feel like 60% of people or it's, it's the, uh, it's tipping more towards people trying to solve problems that are not relevant. Um, and I'll give you an example. But, 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 but why is that? Just to, sorry, interject that I wanted to hold on that point, but why are people doing that? That's what I really want to get to the crux of here. Because then that achieves nothing then. And I agree. I think it is understanding of what are the real problems. And I'll give you a very, very weird example for this. But you will be able to get the point that I'm trying to make through it. Talk about electrical vehicles, right? Everyone in Australia is forcing the government to come up with a policy or to have some sort of a subsidy for electrical vehicles. Do, do you agree with that? Well, I've spoken to someone recently about, um, well, more about on the automated vehicle side of things. So that's going to be what's going to happen in the future. So the point that I was trying to make again was that um, there's a lot of pressure on the current federal government on subsidy for electrical vehicles and um, investment in the infrastructure that supports these electrical vehicles to travel long distance from one state to the other, right? 
but the problem why it's not so successful in australia in my head is more around what's the real benefit of electrical vehicles you're trying to generate um or, or fuel the car leveraging electricity correct and the electricity that gets generated in australia and or, or a large proportion of the electricity that gets generated in australia is from coal now if coal itself is a non renewable source of energy which is very similar to fossil fuels which is your petrol and diesel so you might be driving your fancy ev and proud that you're making a difference to the environment um but where is the fuel eventually for it coming from <laughs> so so that's the trick i think that you know everyone's trying to the analysis of a problem itself at sometimes needs to be discussed and everyone is going to have a different point of view here kb and which is where there needs to be more collaboration with diverse mindsets in order to solve problems yeah i definitely agree with that i think this is the thing that's interesting i feel in australia we have a lot less collaboration than perhaps other other parts of the world now i want to explore why that is why do you think that is um why there's less collaboration i think it it needs to stem from or the, the there needs to be a beginning from the policy makers or from the government i almost feel like there needs to be uh, something that drives people to collaborate and solve a problem and and which is where you know the example that i was sharing uh, previously around collaboration between the attackers and how they've amped up their capability and us almost uh, as as good guys playing the catch up because of lack of collaboration so we're trying to solve problems if you look at the basic problems that we have within cybersecurity as as simple as cyber hygiene patching vulnerability management and we're all trying to solve these problems in our own castles within our own organizations are we really collaborating within the industry are we actually collaborating um you know outside of the industry and within different diverse sort of industries are we collaborating with the public sector is there collaboration between private and public sector is there collaboration is there funding from the government uh, on this and i guess that to me is the reason for the lack of collaboration i agree i think i've spoken about this before likely on this podcast but to people in general i still don't understand why that's the case i mean i sometimes when we get a sense that maybe people are intimidated that perhaps well if i start talking about what i'm doing my competitor is going to steal my ideas do you think there's a bit of that in there could be i don't think that necessarily is a big problem as such um i almost feel like that's the phase 2 problem the phase 1 problem is solving the right problems <laughs> and the phase 2 problem is essentially how uh, to make to protect your own ip and make sure that you're not you know the same idea is installed and someone else is trying to do the same but that is going to happen right when the ddos protection products came out there was one specific vendor i don't want to point them out that were leading uh the race but then there's similar ddos protection products now available across industry and that competition actually is good right because industry would want options between the two or three or four or however many products that exist around ddos protection the way i look at it is if you're sort of the only company doing that for so long maybe it's not needed so when there is other competitors popping up it's not a bad thing but i can understand why people get antsy about that so you said you know, are we solving the right problem so if someone's sitting there listening going well how does that internal dialogue go like what what sort of the the, the frame of mind you need to be in if you're in this position or you're something that you think about a lot of the time how would you sort of start that conversation with yourself and then permeate that through to industry uh what does that look like from your point of view um okay that's that's a really great question 
Um, I almost feel like innovation is a luxury that some of us can't afford. Where is the time for it? We're constantly battling fire, aren't we? Now, let me pause and think about the question again. Um, and, you know, there's a particular feature that Google launched um, that comes to mind. I don't know if you if you know this one. This is called, did you mean this? You know, as, as soon as you start typing on the search box on Google, it provides you with alternative suggestions, especially mm -hmm. if you have misspelled something. Now this feature and the algorithm that enables it is another great example of innovation. The interesting bit here is the legend behind this algorithm um, developed this project in his 20%. You know how Google has this concept of 80% and 20%? 20% mm -hmm. of your time, you're investing in your passion projects that you feel at some point in the project's life cycle will benefit Google. The point that I'm trying to make here is that innovation wouldn't necessarily come from status update meetings, targets, or deadlines. Innovation needs to be embedded in every fiber of the DNA of organizations or cultures. It is also a virtue that you need to have in yourself. Uh, and, we've, and we've discussed some points around how or what really fuels innovation. It is the collaboration, it's the investment of funds from a, a strategic mindset of investing for the future, offering more grants to universities, to um, more engagement or collaboration between researchers, universities, as well as industry, breaking the barrier. So I think those are the things that are gonna fuel innovation. Do you think some people think in terms of innovatively or do you think that people just don't think like that at all so are you sort of one or the other can you sort of learn it or what do you think about that um so like like the point that i was trying to make earlier was more like if each one of us has to be able to get through what we need to in our jobs and have some extra time at hand and obviously passion in us to make sure that we're doing things differently. If you keep on doing the same things over and over again, you're not going to solve bigger problems. And that's where if we constantly keep battling fire, where are we going to find the time to innovate or do things differently. So, so, so that is the crux. It's, it's almost on employers, I feel, or culture of organization where you need to give people enough freedom and empower them with enough tools and technologies for them to then think about solving real world problems rather than just getting their head down and achieving their targets or uh, you know, the project milestones or timelines. But here's the thing that gets interesting, right? So I feel in terms of my career, I've left jobs because I wasn't allowed to think freely or at liberty of thinking what I wanted to. I was, this is what you're doing. Don't sort of color outside the line. So I kind of feel there's companies out there saying we're building innovation. We're doing this for PR purposes to sort of create this illusion that they're doing it and maybe they are doing it but then you got people in organizations that you're just being told to do the thing and nothing but the thing because I have felt like that in multiple roles and then I think as a result of that I got jack of it and I started my own thing because I had brain to do what I wanted to to, to do something different to build innovation in, in, a, in a sort of slightly out of the, the security tech side of it so to speak but still in the security arena how do people manage that and i and i don't think i'm the only one here that thinks they've been in this position I, I know a fair few people that are sitting in a company and they are not allowed to think with an innovation hat on but their company sort of gloats around the industry that they are that's the part that gets me the most 
So I hear you and I understand that point that you're trying to make. My opinion on this is a bit conflicted. Uh, there's a part of me that wants to say that we're probably not seeing much security innovation developed locally or within people or within organizations as much as we'd like. And let me expand that a bit more. Um, if we talk about Australia as a nation, we're predominantly a large consumer of latest tech and security innovation that is derived, derived out of the rest of the world, which makes us an early adopter as best. However, there's a handful of tech innovation and Atlassian comes to mind and even fewer security innovation that we've actually seen that has roots closer to us here in Australia. And like I said, I feel conflicted on this question itself because there's a part of me that uh, that has that positive Australian spirit that wants to recognize Australia for two major reasons. Um, one, for us being a bold nation to adopt innovation, we may not be leading in terms of security innovation or innovation in general, but we're at least bold adopters of security innovation. And two, for sowing the seeds for security innovation in the more, more recent times uh, to set ourselves up for success uh, in the future. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Carissa. I'm just curious if there are more people like me who are conflicted in their opinion or the people more, uh, you know, uh, focused on black versus white when it comes to innovation closer to closer to home in Australia. Well, at the moment of time that we're recording this podcast, we're at the tail end of the Olympics and I'm seeing Australia win gold for swimming and and all these other sort of these areas. So how do we sort of win gold for innovation and security? Because I ultimately, I want Australia to be inventors. I don't want Australia to just look to the other parts of the world. And so I think this is the conversation I want to sort of have today I want Australia to be leading. I think we've got some fantastic people out there that are really smart, and that's what I'm trying to sort of uncover here. I think a part of it, from my perspective, is that tall poppy syndrome. I see it. I work with a lot of startups in Australia, outside of Australia. When you start doing things differently and you start separating yourself from what everyone else is doing, people don't like it. Then I think some people potentially give up, and the reasoning for that is because, I don't know, Stefan that they work with, they're not friends anymore because David took a different path in life and Stefan doesn't like it. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen for myself as well. That's how people are. I think that is what's shooting us in the foot because of what other people think and how we are. We are quite a reserved nation. And then I think we give up. So I want to be able to provide people with the tools and the confidence to sort of have that propensity to drive this forward because you've got some very talented, smart people out there, but how do we sort of harness that to become leaders, to get people looking at us? Because sometimes I almost feel that people think, well, you're sort of at the end of the world, no one really cares as much. And I, and I think that that's <laughs> not the case. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And that's what I wanted to get you on here today because I want to have start that conversation, get people thinking. I want Australia to be leading these things. I don't want Australia to just be taking gold home in swimming. I want them to take gold home in the security innovation space. That is that is an amazing motivation to have. And, and again, in my head, and I'm just trying to bounce my thoughts again, you've already raised some problems that you feel are preventing us from winning gold uh, at the Olympics and security innovation or innovation in general. To me, I truly believe that there are three basic problems that can be tackled. One that we've discussed, I think, fairly rigorously is collaboration. And like we were stating earlier, that collaboration within teams in an organization, between different organizations operating in a sector, between private and public sector, so that that needs to happen. That's that's point number one. Uh, the second problem that we need to solve is breaking the barrier. And let me explain what I mean by that. Isn't coming up with not one, 
but a handful of really, really good vaccines with awesome efficacy in less than 12 months innovation. But are we adopting one of these vaccines, which is AstraZeneca, as an example, as much as we would like to? And the resistance to adoption of innovation, at least in case of AZ, is lack of understanding of risk versus benefit, right? So that, that to me is breaking the barrier, making people really understand what's the risk versus what's the benefit. And you know that goes back, goes back to the point that you were making around automated vehicles or driverless vehicles. If I tell you, Carissa, that tomorrow there's a massive launch event and there's this big automotive brand that's going to launch a driverless car, are you going to be able to get in the queue? Uh, or you or me, right? Are we going to be able to be in the queue to buy it? Probably not, right? Because we haven't got enough information on what is the risk versus what's the benefit of more of us leveraging driverless cars, correct? And that comes from the power of information. So, so that was my second point. I think, uh, and I'll, I'll ask ask for your opinion on this. The third point that I wanted to quickly make was more around how we spoke about long-term strategic investment, uh, both from federal government and the industry in research and collaboration with universities. Uh, and we have definitely seen this to be picked up. Uh, and I have a few examples that come to mind. SciRise is a great example of cybersecurity innovation accelerator program, which is funded by uh, Deakin University and a tech service provider that I don't remember. Um, and not just private sector, but OST Cyber is another example of a federal government funded not-for-profit organization uh, initiative that has a mission to fuel digital economy through support and development of security. Now, this came into existence roughly around the 2017-2018 timeframe, which most of us would say is too little too late. But I almost feel like this is sowing the seeds for a better future. So I want to get your thoughts. You know, I, I, we've discussed about collaboration. I wanted to get your thoughts on the last two uh, points, which I feel are the bigger problems: breaking the barrier, not having enough information, and the third point more around the long-term strategic investment. Yeah, I agree. I went to a conference. I don't know if you when we had conferences. Who knows? I don't know. Twenty nineteen, maybe twenty eighteen. I don't even remember. And there was a guy actually speaking from AWS. I remember this so clearly in my mind. He said, when you're doing something different, be prepared for people to not understand you. I know what that feels like. Even when I started KBI, I think people thought I was mental, right? And it wasn't even that, like, out there. So I, I guess I was slightly confused. But for me, I mean, dealing a lot with very deep tech startups that I do work with and I see what they're doing, I agree with you. I think that's where the comms and the marketing and the strategy comes into it, be able to communicate those points. That's where I feel there's a disconnect because some people are very, very good technically and talking, like you said, the risk versus the benefit, not as strong at communicating sort of the value that it brings. That's the missing part here. What you do is cool and awesome, but you struggle with communicating like why we need this, why this needs to be ubiquitous. And so I think a little bit more sort of maturity around that would help. And and, and it's that analogy, that forest in the trees, when you're so far in it, you can't see anything else. And to, and to, to you that's developed this thing for like 10 years, for example, of course, it's going to be easy for you to understand, but if you put it in front of someone else, they're like, what? This thing's out there. And so that, that's, that's the key to breaking the barrier. I think persistence, uh, you, you've got to have a level of tenacity. People are going to tell you no, they don't get it. But anyone doing anything that's different is going to take some time. So you need to have patience. It's something I've had to learn. I still sort of borderline not having patience. It's only because I want to take things forward. So I think that's a key. 
And then I think in terms of like the industry stuff, I'm a big believer in if you say you need to do as you say. I want to see it in the black and white. I just don't want people to sort of do a lot of talking and not a lot of walking. That's what I want to see. And I think if we back it up with actions, I feel that's how we're going to get the outcome that we're talking about today. Absolutely. That's spot on. And I completely relate to this communication and strategy example that you brought up in terms of, you know, it's 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 a mix up in terms of clear messaging. You know, look at the AstraZeneca rollout um, that we've had here in Australia, and there's no clear communication around what is the risk. Who is talking about whether it's one in ten or whether it's one in two hundred thousand? Because that changes the risk versus benefit, right? Why aren't we talking? Why aren't we actually sharing this with people? Because this is information which will empower people to take the right decisions, right? So, so I completely agree with your point, Ed. And I'm, and probably if we had a couple of more minutes, I'd want to. You know how I started out talking about stages of innovation in my head, but I lost track. Um, I have I've had time now to think about what are those four stages of innovation, which are very similar to a product lifecycle stages. Uh, so to me, those four stages are introduction, adoption, evolution, and the fourth stage depends on the evolution and maturity. If there is enough uh, of evolution and maturity, that would lead to greater adoption. And if there isn't enough um, evolution and maturity that would lead to decline in the use of this innovation. An evolution of security uh, innovation itself stems from adoption. If there isn't that uptake of security innovation, it is likely to take long period to evolve and mature. That is the reason why I feel uh, we sh- we. We should be proud that we're such a bold nation to adopt security innovation, which in a way fuels its maturity. I like that you touched on evolution because I think, I mean, it's like anything, right? Like there's something that comes out and it's it's awesome and it's on fire and then there's the decline. And so I think the only way to consistently stay relevant in any market, not just in security, is to, that, is to evolve by by getting qualitative, quantitative feedback, releasing new features. I think gone are the days where you release a product and that's the be all end all of it. You've got to keep that uh, evolution. You've got to keep developing your product, for example. I am seeing that. I do feel people are relying back on while we've been around for so long. I think that'll that's fading though. I think people are over that because what I know for sure Companies can go to a startup that can do something a tenth of the price as some of your bigger players. Your bigger players, depending on who they are, are developing, like I said, think tanks and all these buying companies, they're front and they are trying to do that. They're aware of that. But this is where it gets interesting. I think that it's going to be an equal playing field. Startup, big boy, does not matter. I think that it's going to really be battle of who can do it the best uh, the quickest and likely the cheap, the cheapest. And I so agree with you. I've got a five-year-old daughter, Eva, and I constantly keep telling her something that you've got to be able to sustain your dream. You can't really say that one day I want to be a ballet dancer, do do ballet sessions, and then next day move on to something else just because your friends are doing something else. In order to achieve success or to be excellent at a particular skill. It could be an art form. It could be innovation. You've got to constantly keep working on yourself, on improving the product or innovation that you're focusing on. And that goes back to the point that you were making, KB, that there's it's, it's a level playing field now between the big boys and the startups. It's more about who is consistent in terms of getting out there and actually constantly evolving the maturity of their product. And so one of the things that I'm hearing that you're saying is, I I like your example, like ballet dancer one day, next thing you want to be something else. You have to stay the course, right, in anything. Do you think that 
I love this word, sustainability. Absolutely. Even when you're developing a brand, it's being, you have to keep doing it. You can't just do it once and then you're, you're famous or whatever you think. But do you believe that people will feel fatigued after a while? Because you've constantly got to be like doing stuff, innovating and and thinking and collaborating. And do you think people, well, the bottom cohort of people will just sort of drop off and, and your strong players will keep sort of leading the way? Because that's not an easy thing to sustain, right? Eventually people are going to get tired, they're going to give up or their, their patience will wear thin. What do you think of that from a mentality point of view? It's it's all about um, you know constant uh, passion and perseverance, or or the term that they use, which is grit. You've got to constantly work hard towards your long term goal. And I completely agree with you. If you don't constantly keep fueling your desire to better yourself or to improve your product, then you're likely to die the sudden death that SSL did. Right? SSL is deprecated now. Nobody talks about SSL anymore, and which is why I thought it would be an interesting uh, innovation to talk about today. Absolutely, and that's what I was trying to sort of get at before. Like that lifespan of how how quickly a company sort of survives is getting shorter and shorter because something else pops up. And like some of the conversations I'm having with some of these guys out there, it's like, oh, that thing you spoke about, oh, that's dead. We're starting something else now. I'm just like, it's mental, and I'm in this, doing this day in day out. So. I can even understand sort of the complexity around how other other people don't quite understand. Like we're talking about something, then that's dead. Now it's the next thing. Like it's it's tiring. You just bought a product and then all of a sudden, oh, no, there's something else that's come out. It beats that. So how do you even think like from a customer side, people even keep up with this stuff? See, that's uh, the, the problem that you brought up is something that I'd noticed at one of my employers that I worked at where every time they came across a problem in order to solve a problem, they bought a product or a tool to solve the problem. And then it so happened that there were like a um, number of these products, not talking to each other, solving smaller problems, no collaboration. Some of these products matured and evolved. Some of these products um, obviously, because of lack of uptake, died the sudden death. So uh, I, I don't think I have a solution to the problem, but I almost understand and relate to to what you what you're trying to uh, bring out here. Do you think that that problem will just increase now because there's like thousands of companies getting sort of bought out, or they're creating created every day, or they're being incubated, or like? Is it just going to get worse? Is it going to get to a point where you buy a product and all of a sudden like you've got five more competitors out that are better or what's going to be the reality of the landscape? I, uh, I think the reality is going to be that there will be innovation, but the you know there will be mergers and acquisitions and takeovers and like we're seeing today, right? It's, it's, it's the tech giants that keep on acquiring more and more of these smaller innovative firms that come out with technology which is very different from what we've seen now whether they continue to fuel that innovation after the acquisition is a question that you and me know the answer to right so would you say that a a bigger player is is buying left right and center because you own the monopoly because they know that they can and they know this is how they win? Or do you think they're that aware of it? Or do you think that there's some other ulterior motive there? Like, what, what do you think their thoughts are? Unfortunately, that's the current state, right? There's there's a handful of uh, tech firms uh, or tech giants, and they are the ones that continue to keep acquiring these uh, innovative products. That are that are uh, that, that we're seeing uh, coming up, and uh, look uh, to be to be fair, I, I I wouldn't even know what is their clear strategy behind this, but I I feel for uh, for the need for evolution of a lot of these smaller products. For example, you know water filters. Who who talks about water filter as an innovative uh, product, right? So. 
and that's the beauty of innovation. It needs to be completely transparent to the user of the product. And, and, and we've got to constantly make sure that that evolution continues. And for that evolution, you've got to stay on track and, and, and do things on your own rather than getting acquired. So do you believe, so off the back of that point, would you say that these are the ingredients for people to, to, to succeed and be sustainable? And then the other point would be, if they're not doing that, like what's going to happen to them in the end? Yeah, so I think we discussed the key points around what is really essential in order to continue to develop innovation. And, and those, those elements, uh, like we described, were more around uh, collaboration and breaking the barrier and long-term investment. I think those, those are the key uh, elements that I want to just leave our um, listeners of the podcast with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens now in the future because we're seeing more of these M&A and more acquisitions happening or more takeovers. And so let's let's just see how, what happens. And I think that perhaps maybe in a few months or even a year time, we'll get you back to sort of see like where are we from like a year on from now. It'd be really cool to sort of look back retrospectively and say like, what have we learned? What's happened in the market? What, who's moved the needle? So maybe that would be a good interview. I'd love to be back every time I get an opportunity, Chris. Awesome. Yeah, well, it was so awesome to speak to you today, Jay. And I think that, you know, these are these are real questions that people think about that I think about. And we wanted to give answers and just start a discussion, get people thinking about this. So I really appreciate your time as always. But Jay, lastly, if people perhaps have a question that I didn't ask you today, even though I asked you so many how can they go about getting in contact with you? Um, I'd say LinkedIn is the best source. I am unfortunately not on any other social media, and which is where I'd recommend them to get in touch with me via LinkedIn. My first name's Jay, my last name's Hira, and more than happy to... And Jay Hira is the best. (laughs) And more than happy to help with anything that I could. And I guess it was really, really great listening to you and and us discussing these questions in a way will lead to different thoughts in different, uh, you know, might trigger more people to get out there and think about security innovation. Absolutely. I hope so. And that's definitely a big reason why we do this podcast. So, Jay, really appreciate your time as always. And I can't wait to get you back. Thank you, KB. Like I said, would love to come back again. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.